Amen, amen. Thank you to our amazing worship team for leading us so capably this morning. Thank you for uh, gathering with us today in worship, even if, if it's from a distance. I do want to mention that next Sunday, if, uh, if you're a church who doesn't, isn't able to meet uh, digitally, if you're not able to uh, watch on Facebook or, or be on TV or whatever else, uh, we do have a special treat for uh, different churches next Sunday. Our Director of Missions for the Etowah Baptist Association, Craig Carlisle, will be preaching. And so we invite any church who's unable to do that to join First Baptist Quote from afar uh, in worship next Sunday. And uh, Craig will be preaching for us next week, and we look forward to that uh, sort of sense of community worship as we get uh, someone who, is a, even though he's a member here at First Baptist, nonetheless, he represents all of our different Baptist churches here in Etowah County through the Etowah Baptist Association. And so, and you don't have to be Baptist to join him. We'd love to, love to have you. So we look forward to that uh, next Sunday, having Craig preach. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, verse 14 through 13, 4. 2 Corinthians 12, 14 through 13, 4. You've got time now to open up a tab or uh, not at a bar, but, you know, they're on your, uh, they're on your uh, 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 browser. You can pull out your phone and check it there and, uh, and, and open up there on your phone. Or if you've got a physical copy of the Bible there in front of you, you can grab that. Open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, beginning verse 14. And uh, we're going to be looking at those verses this morning. I want you to hear the word of the Lord as it's read, and bear in mind that the, as the Apostle Paul, um, as we read and hear the words from the Apostle Paul, the words on this page that are written here, it's as if God himself is speaking to us. Beginning, verse 14. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. I got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. And all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish. And that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, the sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, 
But in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God, we pray today that you would open our hearts and minds, God, to be changed by your word. Lord, we pray we would receive your word by faith today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. One thing I've learned in life is that we are born with a passion for accountability for other people. I've learned that really clearly over the last few weeks because very frequently in my very own home, as we're all sort of living there together right now, we always live there together, but we're there all the time. We're working there together, living there together. Every meal is eaten there together. We are together. And very frequently I hear someone coming down the hall, and what do I hear? Mom, Dad, so-and-so did this. You know the practice, tattling. I've got a blanket policy for tattletales. As soon as I hear, Mom, Dad, so-and-so, before they can even finish the sentence, they know exactly what I say. I'm sure they're telling Whitney right now at home what I say. I don't care. We don't care. I don't care what happened to you. Nope. Don't come hollering down the hall for me. The, the, the reality, now Whitney's a little sweeter. She'll usually at least hear the case. And I said, just go deal with it. I don't care. Just go deal with it. You'll be fine. You'll, you'll be fine. We, we don't like tattletaling. But it tells us a lot about our own hearts. It tells us what we're like. We are born with a passion for accountability for others. You don't have to teach a kid how to tattletale. You, you don't have to teach a kid how to care about what other people do. But we do have to teach. And we do have to be taught to care about what we do, don't we? In fact, some of us still haven't learned the lesson. We're, we're always very worried about what other people do, but not so much what we do. You see, accountability is one of the most important and yet one of the hardest parts of the Christian life. It's very difficult to strike the right balance. <coughs> one thing I've noticed is that we seem to have three different tendencies. I've, I've just sort of noticed. I've spent my whole life around Baptists. Well, a lot of Christians. I've been in all kinds of Christian subcultures. Went to a Christian college. Baptist college, Baptist seminary, been pastoring in Baptist churches, different, just had a lot of experience around Christian people. And I've noticed there seems to be kind of three approaches to accountability. One is none at all. <laughs> just the laissez-faire approach to accountability. Lax, easygoing, non-committed, and, and no commitment at all to taking sin seriously. And I, I don't believe this glorifies the Lord. Um, I think this has been pretty normal in a lot of our churches over the years, just to have no approach to accountability at all. Oftentimes, though, accompanying this, the sort of official laissez-faire policy and not caring at all, you also have a sort of second approach that is often coupled with the first, and it's the gossip and busybody approach to accountability. That really what people are not afraid of when they sin or do something wrong, they're not so much afraid of the Lord, and they're not so much afraid of the discipline of the church. They're afraid people are going to think bad about them and talk bad about them. And so in this sort of approach, we all become Miss Stephanie from To Kill a Mockingbird, just sort of looking at all the problems and knowing all the different things. We talk to others about other people's sin. But you see, we have no love of God or neighbor because we don't actually take the sin seriously. We just use it for our own salacious interests. But then I've noticed a third approach, and it's oftentimes a sort of hard uh, uh, response to a lack of accountability. It's what you might call the Big Brother or the Spanish Inquisition approach. 
and, and, and you've seen churches, and I've seen churches crop up where people are really kind of over-pastored and over-held accountable. It's too hard. It's too much. Churches and individuals become obsessed and legalistic with accountability, and they go beyond what the Bible teaches. And, and so to try to correct from having a laissez-faire approach to accountability, they become these sort of hardcore inquisition types. These all have their problems, of course. None of them are really the biblical approach to accountability. What, what we really need and what our hearts really need and what Christians really need is a loving, for the sake of others, careful, Christ-centered approach to accountability. Something that's centered on the gospel and centered on Jesus and that is focused on others, not in a judgmental way, but cares more about others that, I don't know, here's a thought, treats others like we want to be treated tossing that out there loving and careful accountability it's what we need it's what we long for if we are going to be held accountable to the gospel to which we've been called then we must have some level of accountability and so this morning i want to show you paul's approach to accountability and discipline in the corinthian church i, I think these three things i'm going to show you are sort of permeating all of the letter of second corinthians but they really come to the forefront here in this text just three truths to help us understand what accountability needs to look like in the Lord's church and in the life of a Christian. Here's the first. Accountability must be rooted in love. Uh, accountability must be rooted in love. I'll be honest and frank. A lot of the people I hear talking about church discipline and talking about accountability in the church often talk about it in a sense that betrays the fact that there's a lack of love involved. I'll, I'll never forget, I, I'll never forget when I was in seminary, you'd talk to guys who were planning to be pastors one day, and uh, they would say things, you know, and you could just kind of tell they relished the thought of one day being able to, to do church discipline or hold people accountable. They enjoyed it. You never see joy in these things in the Bible. Now, there's joy in obeying the Lord, and there's joy in having a pure church, but you never see this sense of just relishing these opportunities. I had a great seminary professor. He's preached here before, Dr. York. Whenever guys would act like that and talk about that in his classes, he would always say, well, that's nothing one failed pastorate won't fix and uh, move on with his day. But here's the reality. Accountability must be rooted in love. Notice what Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning verse 14. He says, here for the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. You see, a loving relationship and accountability that's rooted in love must mean that there's a healthy relationship. You see how Paul's saying he refuses to be a burden, that he's not been a financial burden to them? And do you see the way he sees himself as the Corinthians' father? He talks about it as if he's their father and they are his children. He says, it's my obligation to save up for you, not your obligation to save up for me. You see, these people who had sort of infiltrated Corinth with a false gospel were spreading lies about Paul, basically saying that he had disenfranchised the Corinthians and stolen money from them for his personal gain under the guise of this offering for the church in Jerusalem. And that's part of the subtext of what Paul's talking about here. 
What is he saying? He says, I won't be a burden. He's already alluded to this earlier in 2 Corinthians when he talked about the fact that he didn't take any money from them. He didn't ask them to support him while he was there. He, he had others who supported him during that time. And once again, he's saying, I am not going to be a burden to you. I, I'm the one who wants to bless you, not vice versa. And sure, he's taking up a collection, but that's for the sake of others, not for the sake of Paul. You see the way he's straining to have a healthy relationship? He's trying to make sure, I'm not coming to burden you. I'm not coming to disenfranchise you. I'm not coming to ask things of you. I am here to support you, to love you, and to point you toward Christ. Love means that we must have a healthy relationship. It strives to have a healthy relationship. But love also means that we have a sacrificial relationship. You see, if we're going to have accountability in our lives and in our churches, then we must have sacrificial relationships. Let me put it like this. Let me state it like this. It's hard to hold someone accountable in love if you don't have any skin in the game. Now, I've had people try to hold me accountable for something, and they didn't know me. They, they, they didn't have any relationship with me. Have you guys ever met these kind of people, the kind of dive bomber accountability folks? They just kind of zip into your life and drop a bomb on you, and then they're gone. Never seen them before, never seen them since, right? That's like all social media is. There's people dive-bombing their opinions on everybody else. But we're there, so, you know, whatever. I mean, I guess we ask for it. Um, but here's the reality. Here's the reality. It's hard to hold someone accountable when you have no skin in the game. You're going to wind up doing more damage than help when you just zoom in on somebody and just zip in and then zip out. You have to actually care. But notice what Paul says here. What, what, what does he say? Verse 15. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Do you see what he's saying? I am willing to sacrifice for you. I, I am willing to sacrifice. I have spent and I will be spent. I, I'm not desiring to get things from you, he says back in verse 14. I desire you. Do you see what he's saying? I am willing to sacrifice for you. I care about you. This is a loving, sacrificial relationship. I care about you. This means a lot to me. Paul is not just dive-bombing in on the Corinthians. He's saying, I look at you like a father looks at his children. I am willing to spend and be spent on your behalf. But you see, it also love also means... A committed relationship. A, a, a committed relationship. You see Paul's commitment in verses 16, 17, and 18. He says, Granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and I got the better of you by deceit. He's, he's had these horrible accusations leveled at him by these Corinthians who he loved. And he goes on to kind of defend himself, to say, But I sent people there. Did they take advantage of you? Of course not. This is nonsense. You see how Paul, despite the way he's being treated by the Corinthians, stays committed? Do you see the commitment level? Despite these accusations, despite the strain of the relationship, despite the fact it would be easier just to let them go and do whatever they want, Paul stays committed because he loves them. He cares about them. And the reality is, if we are going to hold one another accountable, if we are going to have accountability in our lives, if we are going to have accountability in our church, we must have loving relationships as the context of accountability. We must love one another. But that's not the only thing. Not only must accountability be rooted in love, second of all, 
Accountability is for the sake of others. Accountability is for the sake of others. Now, here's the reality. Oftentimes, our temptation is to hold others accountable for our sake. Well, what does that mean, Pastor? Some people just relish the drama. Say what you want, but some people enjoy it. Some people that are busybodies enjoy being in other people's business. And it's one of the things, you know, sometimes as a nature of my profession, I have to be in people's business. And sometimes I think, some people choose this. I can't understand why you would. You know, it's messy. It's hard to be in other people's business. It's it's difficult. I got enough business of my own to be in, right? It's difficult to do. And and yet, it's easy, though, to, to, to get in other people's business and to try to, quote, hold people accountable to make yourself feel better. To help keep up appearances. Because you're a busybody. Because it makes you feel better. Because you're self-righteous. Makes you feel better about yourself. But true biblical accountability is for the sake of others. Paul asks in verse 19, Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. And all for what? For your upbuilding, beloved Let me tell you this, true accountability is for the sake of others, for their upbuilding. We are holding one another accountable to build up others. You see, accountability isn't so that we can puff ourselves up. It's not so we can tear others down. The purpose of true biblical accountability is so that we can build others up. Now think about that for a moment. Think about how that transforms the way you confront other people about their sin. Think about the way that transforms the way that you you tell other people something they've done to hurt you or or to do wrong by you. So often the way we go about that, and now think about this, this isn't just with your friends who are Christians, this isn't just for the people at church, it's also, I'm about to meddle a little bit, for your relationship with your spouse. I'm sure everybody's just going swimmingly after seven weeks of quarantine. It's just... Kumbaya every night, right? Nobody's getting on guys' nerves, nothing like that. But when you run into the room ready to scream and pull your hair out and pitch a fit, have you ever stopped and thought, am I doing this because I'm frustrated? Or am I doing this to build my spouse up? Am I holding them accountable because I want to feel better about how I'm acting? Oh yeah, will you do this? Or am I doing this to build others up? Do I care about them more than I care about myself? That's something to think about. That's something to think about and consider. It's to build others up, but it's also for the holiness of others. It's for the sake of the holiness of others. Do you see what Paul fears? He fears that when he comes, he may find them not as he wishes. And what he's saying is, when I get there and I find you not as I wish, you're also going to find me not as you wish. Because you think I'm going to come and it's just going to be normal, but it's not. Especially if I come and I find what I fear I'm going to find which is that there could be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Now, if you've ever been through a church controversy or a church fight, that's the definition of a church controversy or a church fight. They're having them one at Corinth, aren't they? Now, listen, I know, I, I, I know some business meetings have gotten all these things in one before. Same thing's going on in the Bible. It's okay. No. No church has ever been a perfect church. Even here in the first century, 
Right? But here's the reality. Paul's fearing these are the things he may find. He's fearing that he may find this here. And what he's saying is, we don't want this among you. And Paul's not saying, I don't want this among you because I want my life to be easier. He's saying, I want this among you and I don't want these things among you because I want you to be holy. You'd be like Jesus. He's listing these sins out because this is not the way of Christ. And so we have to reject these things as Christians in our personal lives, in our church lives, in our home lives, with our extended family. But we also have to hold other people accountable for these things and to help them in these ways, not for our own sake, but for the sake of their holiness and the sake of our own holiness. But we also recognize that accountability for the sake of others also comes at the expense of one's own peacefulness. At the expense of one's own peacefulness. Do you see what he says? I fear that when I come again, what does he say? What do you expect him to say here? You expect him to say, I fear that when I come again, God's going to humble you. But that's not what he says, is it? Paul says, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you. And I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. I think Paul's hearkening back to sins he's been dealing with since 1 Corinthians. This is part of a long process that Paul has been dealing with with the Corinthian church. And what he's saying is, at the expense of my own peace, I'm going to go there and I'm walking into a buzzsaw. There are things that are going to be said about me, done about me, and I, I care so much about you that I'm willing to sacrifice my own peace. You see, busybodies love drama. They love this sort of thing. They love being at the center of controversy. But godly people do not thrive on having their lives upended for the sake of others. Yet we do it for the sake of Christ. We do it for the sake of Christ. Accountability is focused and it's for the sake of others. But finally, accountability is careful and Christ-centered. Accountability is careful and Christ-centered. It's rooted in love. It's for the sake of others. But we must always recognize it's careful and Christ-centered. This is the third time Paul reminds them. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now here's the reality. If accountability is to be careful and Christ-centered, it must be based on evidence. <laughs> the, the, the Bible is rooted not in how we feel or not about just how we happen to what we happen to fancy in the moment the bible is rooted in and based on evidence we we believe the scriptures because of evidence and the, the bible constantly is calling for evidence and here we see that accountability must be based on evidence it must be based on the evidence of two or three witnesses for a charge to be made now i think paul's transitioning the discussion a little bit here into sort of formal church discipline and I think we make a mistake. I think we see church discipline as itself off on kind of an island. But it's part of an overarching, overwhelming pattern of accountability in the Bible. It's the end of discipleship. It's the end of accountability. We start with basic one-on-one -on -one accountability according to Matthew 18, right? That's what Jesus told us to do. You go to your brother. And then it escalates from there. And now I think Paul happens to be addressing a situation that has escalated. And he's saying every charge, and that includes charges against Paul, 
must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. It's not the only time the Bible talks about this sort of thing. Charges against elders have to be backed up by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And it's a beautiful biblical picture and a beautiful biblical principle because there's no vigilante justice in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That what this does is it neutralizes and stops gossip and slander. One person ought not to be able to just go out and just start making false claims about another person. There's no avenue biblically for baseless slander against anyone in the Lord's church. And we would all do well to remember that that's the case. Accountability must be based on evidence, not mere personal opinion. Now, as a pastor, I recognize there are some times for pastors, and I have pastor friends who have been through these situations, and I've dealt with folks like this, even in my own ministry over the years, sometimes people just don't like you. I think I've told you that the most freeing thing that I've thought in probably the last several years is, you don't have to like me to love Jesus. A big sigh, you can't hear it out there, there's a big sigh of relief in the room just now. All across Gadsden. No, that's the reality, you don't. But at the same time, we recognize that, that someone who just doesn't like someone is not able to go and just make up things or say they ought to be fired or say they ought to be getting rid of or be ugly to someone just because they don't like them. That's not how the Lord's church works. There has to be evidence for, for any sort of formal discipline to happen in the Lord's church. We also recognize, though, not only is it based on evidence, but accountability is severe if necessary. We have to be careful, but we don't go full in, loaded for bear on the first step. Over time, though, but the moment finally comes when accountability has to be escalated. We don't start there, but we must remember this reality. God is not weak. That's the point Paul is making. He's been accused of being weak, but what he's saying is Jesus isn't weak. Though he was crucified in weakness... You seek proof that Christ is speaking. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. He may have been crucified in weakness, but the reality is he's alive and powerful today. And the Lord demands a pure church. And there comes a moment at times when accountability has to become severe. Now I'll confess to you, every time I read a passage like this, every time I read through the New Testament, every time I hear of a church having to do church discipline or severe accountability, I pray every single time against that for my church, for First Baptist Church. I say, Lord, please, please let your people be quick to repent. Please never bring us to a place where we have to do any sort of severe accountability in your church. But know this, and remember this, the Lord is not weak. And the Lord loves you so much that He's given you His church that will not let you continue in open and flagrant sin but will hold you accountable because your church loves you. Why? Because Jesus loves you. Jesus cares about you. We practice careful accountability, but we practice Christ-centered accountability. Ultimately, that's the goal, is to honor and glorify Jesus Christ. Ultimately, our goal is Christ-centeredness. Ultimately, we want Jesus to be in the middle and the purpose and the goal of every single thing we do. Do you see verse 4? For he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him. But in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. This is what we do. We model ourselves and our lives after Christ. 
And though we demonstrate the weakness of the cross all the time, we recognize ultimately that Jesus is strong and powerful and active and living, and He's among His churches, the Bible tells us and teaches us, and He will not let His people continue in sin. He doesn't want you to. He wants better for you. He loves you more than that. And so He's put family around you in His church to help hold you accountable And each and every one of us ought to pray for and long for accountability for ourselves. And even though it's hard, it must be a reality in the Lord's church. We must be passionate about holding one another and holding ourselves accountable to the gospel to which we have been called. Being careful not to trod the Lord's grace underfoot. And as we live out and as we carry out this accountability to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we must remember that it must be rooted in love. It must be others-focused. It must be careful and Christ-centered as we seek to glorify God here in this walk with Him together. I want to offer you some moments this morning to reflect, to pray. Um, If you need someone to talk to, just shoot me an email and I'll get with you this afternoon. It's malexander at fbcgadsden.org. Send me an email. I'd love to hear from you, talk to you. You take a few moments now to pray and reflect. If you need to trust Jesus, trust Jesus. Put your faith in Him. Turn from your sins in repentance and turn to God in faith. If you don't understand what that means or what that looks like, email me, call me. I'd love to hear from you. After this prayer, you take a few moments to reflect. Let's pray together. Lord our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for His gospel. God, we thank you for this great book, 2 Corinthians. And Lord, we pray that you would work these truths into our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.